Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hi there, from Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to the Quickie Junior, getting your family up to speed weekly. Today, we're going to look at why celebrities flying their private jets is really bad for the environment, and we meet Australia's blind cricket vice captain, Brad Brider. But first, have you ever been hangry? You know when you're cranky because you're hungry? Well, we're about to find out if it's actually a real thing. If you're a fan of the reality TV show I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, you would have seen one of the celebrities, former rugby league player Bo Ryan, throw a tantrum after he lost a challenge where the prize was getting to eat a cookie. He stomped off through the middle of the campfire and at one point looked like he was about to cry. He spent a lot of his time appearing on the show complaining about the lack of food and kept on asking for more challenges with food as the prize. Food's wonderful. I could taste the pizza, I could smell the pizza. Do you go a bit berserk with chocolate? Pizza, pizza, pizza! I might eat half a block of caramel. I just can't wait to catch up at Ribs and Rums. I'm a huge um, pork guy, mate. I miss sweet things. I had got the caramel ice creams the other day. I miss coffee. We're out of coffee too, I don't know if you guys have noticed. He eventually quit the show, giving the reason that he didn't want to spend any more time away from his family. But could the real reason have been that he was just really hangry? I think the hunger at the start was like a bit of a shock to me because I've never obviously been that hungry for long periods of time. I mean, I I do get hungry when I'm filming and at home, but you just eat and you can cope with it by usually whether it's at work or at home, like I said, or even in the car. So I think being really hungry at the start sort of shocked my body and shocked my system. And then as it grew on, I I remember halfway through, it was probably the second week, the pains that I had were sending me a bit dark and... I sort of couldn't control my emotions early on. And then I had a little system of ways I deal with it. Like we, you know, train a lot in there and do our jobs. We had a lot of different jobs to do and I'd try and do them most of the day. But 24 hours is a long time to try and kill in there, sometimes by yourself. And yeah, in the end, I just, I got really emotional and, and I couldn't control my feelings. Were you self-aware during that time that hunger was doing that to you? Or is this a reflective thing that you could see after the fact? I mean, I knew when I got up and walked through the fire and the nights we didn't get dinner, I knew I was losing a pop. You know, watching it back, I was shocked with how it was and I couldn't believe some of the things I was seeing. I knew I was starting to lose my mind, but yeah, I didn't have control. I had all self-awareness. I mean, I got really anxious after it, to be honest. I got really anxious after I watched it and, you know, because we've got to obviously explain 
how I felt to my kids first and foremost, and then obviously to every other person I bump into. But my self-awareness was out the window and I had no control over how I was acting sometimes in there. So from your experience, would you say that hangry is a very real thing? Yeah, for sure. 100%. It doesn't affect everyone, but people out there that do, you know, go through these hangry rollercoaster emotions, yeah, hangry is a real thing. Hangry is a word you get when you combine hungry with angry. And it's a real word that got added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2018. It means being bad-tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. It's a word that was found in a short story written back in 1992 and even earlier in a medical journal from way back in 1956. So hangry is a real word, but do scientists think it's a real emotion? Professor Amanda Salas is a researcher in human science at the University of Western Australia. Amanda, look, we know we made up the word hangry, but did we make up the whole thing? Is being hangry an actual emotion? Hangry definitely exists. It's an amalgam of hungry and angry at the same time. And it's really explaining how when some people get hungry, they do express it in snappy responses and being irritable and things like that. And that's real. But why angry? Of all the emotions we could experience when we're feeling a bit hungry, why does anger seem to be the one that we reach for? Well, the presence of hangry or the word hangry doesn't mean that we only experience angry when we're hungry. So there's a lot of different emotions that people can feel when they're hungry, but angry is something that seems to fit well with survival. You know, if we got just sad and very depressed when we got hungry, crumpled into a heap and hid under the covers or under a rock or something, then it wouldn't do the species very well. So the anger that's linked with hunger really links to that aggression, that territorial thing where you fight for food. We studied animals that were missing one of the genes that is well involved in regulating hunger. So this is the Y1 receptor for a brain peptide, neuropeptide Y. And when mice were missing that gene, their hunger was dysregulated and also they were extra angry, they were extraterritorial, they were extra aggressive with their cage mates and things. So aggression and anger is really a helpful survival response to hunger. So we know that hangry is a real thing, that being hungry makes an actual difference to how bad a mood you can get yourself into. But how do you deal with it other than stuffing a cookie into your face? So best ways to manage hunger levels so that hanger doesn't create problems in your life is to eat foods that give very long lasting energy. Think of non-ultra processed foods. So the ultra processed are things that have been through multiple rounds of commercial processing and the nutrients and fiber and goodness has been pretty much stripped out. This is all your white breads and cakes and pastries and chocolates and chips and all that stuff. You want to keep these to very minimal, sometimes foods, and you want to maximize on foods that deliver nutrients and give you sustained release of glucose. So these are fruits and vegetables, whole grains, protein, lean meats, proper meat, not 
processed meat, all that home-cooked type of food. And these foods give you maximum nutrients because they haven't been processed as much because your brain responds to nutrients. So when there's enough nutrients around, your brain can be thinking in inverted commas. Okay, right, we're well fed. Okay, I'm off to get snacks now. How about you? What does singer Taylor Swift have in common with reality TV star Kylie Jenner? Also, like, I want to be an example. They've both been in trouble recently for spending too much time flying around in their own private jet planes. Kylie Jenner recently took her private jet on a 12-minute flight from one side of Los Angeles to the other, a trip she could have done in 40 minutes if she'd driven her car. A few hours later, she got back on her plane for another 12-minute flight. You might think, if rich people are silly enough to spend all their money on private plane flights, so what? What got her into trouble was that each of these flights adds heaps of carbon to the atmosphere, which is terrible for the environment, as carbon is a major cause of global warming and climate change. And Kylie Jenner isn't the worst celebrity when it comes to hours spent flying in private jets. She's not even in the top ten. We can keep track of all these flying celebs thanks to a tech genius called Jack Sweeney, who was only 19 years old in 2020 when he developed a Twitter account that tracks when planes belonging to famous people are taking off and landing. Some celebrities are so annoyed that they've offered him money to stop doing it. From that information, a British company put together a top 10 list of worst polluters. And right at the top is Taylor Swift. Her plane has taken 170 trips since January this year, which has added an estimated 8,000 metric tonnes of carbon to the atmosphere. Her spokesperson came to her defence, saying that Taylor wasn't responsible for all those flights because she sometimes lends her plane to other people. But that's still an awful lot of carbon emissions. So are celebrities and their private jet planes really a major cause of climate change? Tim Baxter is a senior researcher for climate solutions at the Climate Council. Tim, how much does the aviation industry as a whole contribute to global emissions? It's not insignificant. So the aviation industry is sort of in the order of a couple of percent of the total problem. What we see when you look at the full suite of greenhouse gas emissions sectors is that there are quite a lot of sectors that are at about that scale. So energy as a whole, which aviation is part of, is by far the majority of our greenhouse gas emissions globally and in Australia. And there are a lot of reasonably large, but not necessarily, you know, things that are the majority of our emissions that are part of that. So we have, you know, electricity is probably the biggest and our, you know, coal-fired power stations and gas-fired power stations worldwide are really the big chunk of it. And then there's lots of these sorts of large but not extraordinary sectors that are all part of things that we need to find solutions for. And so when we're thinking about how to get greenhouse gas emissions down, you really have to do kind of an all-of-the-above consideration of it. So big enough to matter, I think, is the most important aspect at the end of the day, though. A lot of these flights that private jets take are quite short legs. And in fact, we heard that Kylie Jenner has been known to take flights of three minutes. How many other ways could you have travelled that distance that would have created less emissions? What is the most energy efficient way to take that trip that these people are taking on a private jet? 
it would be public and active transport by far is the winner. So that's your trains and that's your bikes. Your, your trains, your buses, your bikes, your walking. So that's the most energy efficient. Obviously, that doesn't work for everybody and it doesn't work for every situation. So, you know, I can say from my own experience, I live with a chronic pain condition and that means that, you know, I can't walk very far and I certainly can't ride a bike. So that means I'm traveling distances by car that others can't. But then if you're reasonably fit and reasonably healthy, it's really, really beneficial for you to be getting out of the car and getting onto the bike. So really it's a matter of taking care. And when I'm thinking about what my impact on the world is, am I doing this in the best way? Am I doing this in the way that benefits the climate, benefits my pocket, benefits my health in the best way? So yes, celebs flying around in their private jets may be setting a bad example. But realistically, there are people having a lot more impact on the environment right now with their emissions. For example, the amount of fossil fuels like coal being burned to make electricity. So it's going to take more than making celebrities jump in their cars to get the planet back to being a nice place to live. In June this year, Australia's most talented cricketers with a disability were able to play international matches for the first time since 2018 when they took on England and New Zealand for the Commonwealth Bank International Inclusion Series in Brisbane. All three of Australia's men's national disability teams were in action, the blind team playing against New Zealand, whilst the deaf and intellectual disability squads played against England. The Australian intellectual disability team hadn't won a game against England since 2015. But that all changed when they played them in Brizzy, winning the match by a single run. At one stage in the competition, Australia's blind team was leading New Zealand 6-0 after their T20 and one-day matches. But did they maintain that perfect winning streak right to the end? 23-year-old West Australian Brad Brider is the blind team vice-captain. Brad, you last put on the baggy green in 2017. How did it feel to finally get to put it back on and get out there and represent Australia on the international stage? Yeah, it was pretty surreal. There was a lot of build-up, obviously. So we had a World Cup in 2018 that I went to, but I didn't get a game fairly. You know, I wasn't good enough at the time, but... To sit there in Dubai for a whole two weeks and then have a subsequent four years after that to, you know, sit there and stew and have the desire to get better and train for that long was um, pretty full on. But then, yeah, it was all worth it. You know, it became pretty real when I handed Rhino his baggy green and I sort of looked at my own and thought about, you know, how much it actually meant and how far we'd gone and all the boys together that, you know, we love each other a heap. So it was just really good to be out there with that group of guys again. Now, we've been hearing about you guys facing off against New Zealand for the Combank International Inclusion Series. And when I last checked in, you had a perfect record going. How did it end up? Yeah, we managed to finish it 7-0. There was meant to be eight games, but New Zealand unfortunately got hit by COVID towards the end and we had to call the last one. But yeah, it, it felt good that we were able to achieve that as a team and it'd be good preparation for what's next. But New Zealand had a pretty limited preparation and, you know, they came in and saved us from another potential long wait for international cricket. So we're really grateful to them. So your mate Stefan Nero, who's not just a teammate for you, he's also a fellow West Australian, he set a world record at this tournament, 309. 
three centuries not out off 140 balls. You must be so proud of him. Oh, yeah, Stefan and I have been friends since we were toddlers. You know, if we both got married right now, we'd be best man in each other's wedding. So, you know, we're pretty close and he's a really good man and he works harder than probably anyone in our squad on his game and his mental preparation is fantastic. So if anyone deserved it, it was him. And, you know, even while he was out there, he was just thinking, I need to go faster because other people could be here doing it as well. So, you know, I can't just meander to an average score. He wanted to be the best and get over that 300 mark. Brad, can you just explain to those of us who haven't seen blind cricket before how the game's modified for people who are visually impaired? Like, I imagine it takes a lot of guts to face a cricket ball any day of the week. But to do that when you're visually impaired must be 10 times more terrifying. But can you explain to me how the ball is modified in order to make it so that you guys can actually play? Yeah, so it's a hard plastic ball with ball bearings in it. I mean, it's a little bit lighter than a normal ball, like the hard leather, but it comes still quite quickly. So the faster bowlers get it about 100 to 105 to 110 kilometres an hour. But when you're vision impaired, you know, most of us are only seeing the ball after halfway, so it can really feel quite quick. But, yeah, so the bowler bolt underarm, they've got to bounce it once before halfway and once after. And they pretty much say after batter if they're ready, and then as they release the ball, they say play. Brad, how important is it? that the team is now fully funded and you have sponsors behind you like ComBank and gives you access to all the coaching that you need and other benefits. What does it mean to have that kind of support on board? Yeah, well, it brings us to a few levels up. When I started in our first tour of South Africa, it was all we had to pay for it. And we sort of got the leftover Korean Australia uniforms. You know, we weren't a professional sort of looking team either. You know, we were quite unfit and people were paying five grand, you know, to go over. But now we're so well supported. We've got satellite coaches in each state. It's much better and it's really helped us connect better as a team because we're training more at that level and we can trust that each other are at that level as well. And it just means that things are more accessible because if you're paying all that money, there's a bit of resentment that goes into it as well. So, you know, to have that boundary removed and people can just get into it, even at a state level, all our NCIC are paid for now is really important. So what's next for you guys? What's the next tournament on the agenda? Yeah, so you've got the T20 World Cup in India later in the year. We last went there in 2017 and it's quite a big mental challenge but something I think we're a lot closer a group now. Um, we're all, you know, roughly the same age. I think there's in the last squad about eight of us that were under 25 so we're really close together and you know we play playstation together pretty much every day and we're really connected so yeah hopefully that aspect of it will keep us closer in india and and make it a little bit less of a mental challenge but yeah we're really looking forward to it well after that incredible success at the commonwealth bank international inclusion series the disability teams have a lot to look forward to in tournaments to come good luck guys That's the Quickie Junior for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, our executive producer, Callie Borg, and audio producer, Tom Lyon, with scripting assistance by Peter Green. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. 
to link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts. Open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. 